The Red Raiders got the Series W in Morgantown, switch-hitting dingers and record-book rewriting lefties. The Baylor Bears are coming to town. We'll talk about all that and more. This is Dinger Derby. Welcome, Welcome. to Dinger Derby, the official podcast of RedRaiderDugout.com. The only website completely devoted to Texas Tech baseball. Join Keith Patrick twice a week for team news, guests, ranking updates, and game reports. We'll be hitting taters with the Red Raiders from opening weekend all the way through Omaha. This is Dinger Derby. Welcome into Dinger Derby, the only podcast devoted 100% to Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. As you know, Texas Tech went into Monongalia County Ballpark in Morgantown, West Virginia, and took down the Mountaineers two games out of three. They needed the rubber match to get it done, but Texas Tech ultimately did get it done. They improved to 26-8 and eight on the season, 7-5 and five in Big 12 play. Texas Tech is firmly in third place, but they're going to have some work to do to get things done, and honestly, it's TCU sitting in pretty good shape as far as getting themselves a Big 12 championship, if they can take care of business down the stretch. Texas Tech has some work to do, some big series to come, and all you can do is deal with what's in front of you. But let's talk a little bit about this West Virginia series, what it looked like, what came out of it, and then we'll look ahead to the Baylor Bears. Of course, I told you on Twitter I was going to have you an episode after Texas Tech played Oklahoma at Hodgetown Stadium up there in Amarillo in a non-conference matchup, the first time Texas Tech would have played in the city of Amarillo since 1979, but unfortunately that game was postponed. It's pretty chilly up here in West Texas in the Panhandle, and I'm sure Tim Tadlock and OU the same didn't want to send freshman arms out in a midweek non-conference game in the 40s up there in Amarillo. So they postponed it, pushed it from 420 back to May the 4th. And so hopefully at 6 p.m. on May the 4th, there'll be an opportunity for Tech and OU to play a weird non-conference game in a nice double-A ballpark up there in Amarillo. So the Red Raiders go up there to West Virginia. They start out on Friday night and things look promising. Easton Morrell works on board early with an error To start the game off on Friday, then Braxton Fulford follows with an RBI triple. Tech gets another RBI double to follow from Jace Young, and immediately at the very beginning of the game, they're ahead 2-0, and they really don't look back from there. Brax comes back around in the fifth, has a two-run home run, as Easton Morrell had worked aboard as the leadoff walk. Fulford hits him home. Brax actually got himself on cycle watch that night. He had the triple in the first, had the home run in the fifth, and had a single in the sixth. But in the eighth, they plunked him, and there was a lot of that going on this weekend. And Braxton Fulford ends up not getting the cycle, but he wouldn't be the last Red Raider on cycle watch over the weekend. It was a good night all around offensively. You did have a lot of guys get left, but you had a lot of guys getting hits taking advantage of Mountaineer miscues, and ultimately it was a 7-0 game walking into the ninth inning. West Virginia made it interesting, did scratch a couple of runs across late, had some guys on board, 
against Josh Sanders, who had come in for Patrick Monteverdi to finish things out. But with bases loaded, he works his third strike out of the night, and he's able to get out of the jam. So Tech gets the 7-2 win. Patrick Monteverdi gets the win on the night. And he moves to six and one on the season. All through the evening, he goes seven innings pitch, two hits, no runs, three walks, seven strikeouts. Monteverdi's ERA is at a two twenty four right now. He threw sixty four strikes out of ninety five pitches that evening. He was exceptional. He had a big contingent of family and friends, probably forty or fifty of them that had come in. Pittsburgh is the closest metro area to Morgantown. So when teams travel, they actually usually fly into Pittsburgh. It's a little over an hour away from Morgantown. So the terrible towels were flying at the ballpark that night, and Patrick Monteverdi was feeling it and having a lot of fun along the way. And then young Josh Sanders came in for his two innings of work. He gave up six hits and two runs. He did have three strikeouts. We've seen him a few times, and I think that everybody has liked what they've seen. So I'm looking forward to more from him and opportunities like that to get him to grow up quickly because you may need him down the stretch. As I said, Braxton Fulford, he had a multi-hit game. It was a three-for-four night for him. He also had an HBP, two-run scored three RBI. Easton Morrell was on base often. He did strike out twice. He reached on an error in the first. He walked in the fifth, and he had a hit in the sixth. Came around to score on the first two. Drew Baker also got aboard on a fielder's choice. He came around to score. He stole a base. He moved to third on a wild pitch, and he came home on an E4. He also walked in the first. Cal Conley walked in the fourth. He came around to score. Walked again in the seventh. Overall, it was a night where you had several Red Raiders do a pretty nice job. Parker Kelly, he goes two for four that night, also has a walk. He had an extra base hit, a double in the fourth. So it was not the worst night offensively, not the best, but Tech got it done and got the 7-2 win. You walk into Saturday feeling pretty good about yourself and liking your chances, hoping to see a better starting effort from Micah Dallas than you saw previously and hoping to go ahead and get that series win on Saturday. That, unfortunately, was not to be. Tech did start off well. Easton Morrell led off with a single, but then Braxton Fulford hits into a fielder's choice, and you don't do any more damage. You get one base runner on an HBP in the second. There was a lot of that that happened this day in particular. But you didn't get a run across until the fourth. At that point, you were in a 3 nothing hole. Jace Young has a leadoff single. Cole Stilwell follows with a double into the left field corner. And Cal Conley, with one out, knocks Young home with an RBI single. That's the first run of the day for Tech. The sixth inning is the big one. It was a total mess for West Virginia. There are four hit-by-pitches, four hit-batsmen in the sixth inning alone. Six overall in this game on Saturday. Three runs are plated for Tech in that sixth inning. They also had one in the fifth. So Tech walks out of the sixth with all of those miscues, all of that mess with a 5-4 lead. But ultimately, they're not able to hold on to that 5-4 lead. As West Virginia, they come back in the eighth. They have one out, and they put a man aboard with a walk. He moves around on a wild pitch, ultimately is hit home. That ties the ball game, and you go into the bottom of the ninth. Tech's unable to get anything working in the top. And in the bottom, they get bases loaded against Texas Tech pitching. And the Red Raiders... Do some fancy work out there with the defense. Tim Tadlock pulls in one of the outfielders, so you've got five men in the infield. A smoker's hit to Cole Stilwell, 
who sends it right back to Braxton Fulford to get the force out at home, but the throw pulls Brax off of the plate just a little bit so he can't get the force or the tag. I think that not only was it the throw from first, and that was a tough one for Stillwell, but it also didn't appear that Brax was really thinking force out. And I could be projecting a little bit there, but just wasn't the Red Raiders' night. They don't get the win. They lose it 6-5 with the walk-off infield fielder's choice. They were out hit 11 to 6 on the day and then Tech had 3 errors and they left a dozen stranded. It was one of those days that you just looked at the comparisons between the teams. Tech did not bat well with runners in scoring position. They did not bat well with runners on base in general. They did not bat well with two outs and it just wasn't one of those good days for the Red Raiders. There was a ton of miscues as well. All the hit batsmen coming from West Virginia pitching that gave all kinds of free passes. You also saw something you haven't seen a lot of, but he might as well get used to it. Jace Young intentionally walked. It was situational uh, to some extent, but I also just feel like it was gamesmanship, moving Jace Young away around and not giving him the opportunity to add to that 15 home run total. He did not hit a dinger this weekend. Micah Dallas went five and a third innings pitched. He gave up seven hits, four runs. Three of them were earned, no walks, and three strikeouts. 51 strikes and 72 pitches that day. Ryan Sublette came in to follow uh, two and two-thirds innings pitched. He gave up four hits, two runs, three walks. He had five strikeouts for Texas Tech. It wasn't the best day. It wasn't what you wanted to see, obviously, getting the loss. And then you force the rubber match. West Virginia did, however, work through five pitchers uh, in this matchup with the Red Raiders. And so that's not a bad thing to see because you know that they're most likely not as deep as Texas Tech. And you just got to get those starters run. Tech did run the starter Fairly early, he went four full innings pitched, only got a couple of runs against him, though, and then the hit batsman fest began. So in the Sunday game, you come in needing to take care of business, and the Red Raiders do just that. They give up only one run on the day, and Mason Montgomery is nothing short of brilliant. He retired the first 10 batters in a row. He had seven strikeouts with four and a third innings pitched before he gave up a hit. It was a questionable one that people were a little grumpy about. Nobody touched the blooper that went to second base, and so it was a hit, although it definitely looks and plays like an error. He follows that after another out with a triple, and that's an RBI triple, and that's the only run that he gives up on the day. Mason Montgomery ends up going six and two-thirds, two hits, one run, one walk, and 12 strikeouts. So Mason Montgomery rewrites the Texas Tech record books, not with the most strikeouts in a game, but he does knock out Clayton Beater, who was the most recent Red Raider, to have 10, 11, and 12 strikeouts in a game. So Mason Montgomery writes his name in there as he had a dozen Ks on the day. 71 strikes in 105 pitches for the lefty from Leander. Chase Hampton followed him, and then Levi Wells Also, they combined for two and a third innings pitched of perfect baseball. No hits, no runs, no walks, and four strikeouts between them. They were both excellent, continuing what Montgomery had started. Ultimately, Texas Tech pitching had seven of the nine innings they pitched on Sunday go three up, three down. They retired them in order 
over and over and over again. They combine with Montgomery having a dozen for 16 strikeouts on the day, and the Tech offense fed off of that energy. They put up six runs, four of them earned on Ben Hampton, the starter. He went five and two-thirds, but got lit up pretty well by Tech. Easton Morrell once again leads off with a triple to left center field. A sack fly from Drew Baker brings him home. Tech strikes first, and they never look back. The closest it got from that 1-0 at that point was in the fourth. West Virginia scratched their only run across then and made it 2-1, to but Tech answered big. He in the fifth, it was a two-run home run from Cal Conley, and then he turns right back around in the sixth with another two-run home run that he hit from the other side of the plate. The switch hitter hit two home runs in a game from opposite sides of the plate. Tech had a six-run sixth. More HBPs on this day. Easton Morrell got hit in the head, and I know I was a little bit salty on Twitter on Sunday doing some of the uh, the game tweets as as we went along but I'll tell you the broadcast crews throughout the weekend left something to be desired the play-by-play guy was consistent the color guy the first two games was a former big leaguer Kevin Ory and the Sunday guy was a former West Virginia player and when Easton Morrell was hit in the head with a fastball that got away it knocked the helmet askew. He obviously is feeling it. He has to be checked out. He does finish out on the base pass, but he's subbed for in the game. And the play-by-play announcer says, welcome to Morgantown, Easton Morrell, and then goes to break saying, we'll be back with more replays of Easton Morrell getting hit in the head. It was a little flippant, and I think that he was poking at his producer who did keep playing it over and over again, but I found it really distasteful to so lightly take someone at this level of baseball getting hit in the helmet. It was a pretty dangerous situation, particularly with how much hitting had gone on throughout the weekend from these West Virginia guys. I'm not going to lie, Texas Tech came out fiery. There were guys described to me as getting off the bus talking trash on Sunday. The Red Raiders wanted that win. They were tired of the chippiness that they had seen coming their direction, and they gave it back. Texas Tech got a dugout warning in the middle of the first inning from the home plate umpire, Jeff Doy. And so that was the game. There was uh, some gnashing of teeth from West Virginia fans saying Tech talks more trash than anybody in the conference. Well, Tech also won this game 10-1. to So if that's what it is, that's what it is. But those guys got out there, and they got after it. The six-run six was a big one for the Red Raiders. They actually didn't score again, but they didn't allow the Mountaineers to score either. They out-hit them 14-2. Tech had no errors on Sunday. They left seven stranded to two for West Virginia. So that's right. It was a combined... One run game for Texas Tech pitching a combined two hitter between Montgomery, Hampton, and Wells with 16 strikeouts. Exceptional performance by Texas Tech pitchers. And what that did was earn Mason Montgomery a National Pitcher of the Week honor. It earned Cal Conley a National Shortstop of the Week honor. And it earned Mason Montgomery Big 12 Pitcher of the Week and and Patrick Monteverdi Newcomer of the Week from the Big 12. A note on Monteverdi and Montgomery and what they did this weekend. They combined to allow one run on four hits in 13 and two-thirds innings of work between their two starts. They combined for 19 strikeouts, 
four walks, and they held West Virginia together to four for 45 hitting. They held West Virginia to a .089 batting average against those two starters. They absolutely deserve Big 12 weekly honors, and that's against quality competition. So when you look through the season now, Jace Young was player of the week back in March 8th. Monteverdi was newcomer of the week, and he has been again now. That was that March 8th, now again in April 19th. Drew Baker was back-to-back Big 12 player of the week, March 22nd and 29th, and then now Montgomery and Monteverdi, Pitcher of the Week and Newcomer of the Week again. As far as the national honors, those came from the College Baseball Foundation. Mason Montgomery named the National Pitcher of the Week for his 12 strikeouts, and then, of course, Cal Conley homering from both sides of the plate in the same game is the shortstop of the week. As far as Mike Gustafson could figure from what he was gathering, looking back through the record book and the stats, the last Red Raider to do anything like this was Josh Bard in 1997. Bard was a catcher. And he was a switch hitter as well and did something similar in a game back then. There's one thing to consider, though, when you look at Jace Young's home run total and you look back to Joe Dillon or something like this and looking back to Bard, the bat changes had not yet happened. So you had different bats back then compared to what you have now. The bats were much hotter. That's not to take away from what those guys did, but it was just a different era and it's hard to compare in college baseball when you get across talking about the BB core bats and the differences. So still an exceptional accomplishment. Nothing like that has happened that we can remember, especially guys like that that have been around for so long and have so much institutional knowledge. Nobody can remember it happening since 1997. So congrats to Cal Conley and to Mason Montgomery and Patrick Monteverdi on a great weekend. Now, you, of course, played a series in a new-look team for the Red Raiders, and it's going to, for the most part, stay that way, at least as far as I'm aware. Easton Morrell has become your new leadoff, at least at this point. He was on Sunday and throughout the weekend playing in right field. We have seen Max Marshawk work in and out of left field, and, of course, he did that as well when Easton Morrell was beaned in the head. Drew Baker moved into the two-hole. He's been starting in left field with Morrell in right field as Dylan Carter has moved around to center field. Now, Dylan Noisy, unfortunately the news did come out. We had heard from Coach Tadlock that Dylan Noisy had been hit by a pitch and it held him out of a game. The hit-by-pitch that he had was in the hand, and what we do know now is that Noisy has a pretty significant back injury that he sustained most likely going into a wall in the outfield at some point in this season, and now he'll be seeing doctors and he's expected to be out the remainder of the year. So you'll have Dylan Carter in center field. Jace Young, of course, still at second base. He's been batting in the three. Cole Stilwell in the four. He's settled in pretty well at first base. We haven't seen as much Drew Woodcox or Nate Rombach working in there. Rombach has been struggling at the plate and so Stillwell has been the one that seems to have put in the work and has been able to pick up and and dig some guys out there when he needs to. Cal Conley in the five hole at the shortstop. Braxton Fulford has been catching almost exclusively for the last several weeks. Cody Masters has seemed to make a home 
at DH, although I would not say that's permanent and that's going to be a position that's open for guys as the bats get hot. Parker Kelly seems to have settled in pretty well at third base. He's very strong defensively and he had a pretty nice day on Sunday. He went two for three, had a couple singles, couple of walks. He came around to score. And then Dylan Carter has been batting in the nine hole as your center fielder. You also missing from that list is Kurt Wilson. He injured his hand sliding into third base against TCU. We do know that Kurt Wilson had surgery last Monday on that hand. I don't know exactly what was repaired. I don't know if there was a pin or if there was other tendon damage, but he has been seen now in a sling and a hard cast. I would expect Kurt Wilson to be out for an extended amount of time, judging from what we're seeing. When you see a guy in the sling and the hard cast and you know that he had surgery, it's probably going to be a little bit. I even wonder if Kurt Wilson may not try to pitch again. As the Red Raiders are getting a little bit thin on the high velo guys, it's a team that's known for power arms. And at this point, Ryan Sublette is a power arm, Hampton and Girton. I'd give you those guys, but you don't have a lot of high velo options left. Brandon Birdsell, who is a guy that can run it up into the upper 90s, is now going to be out also for an extended period of time. We do know it's a rotator cuff injury. The word I've received is that it's non-surgical, so it could just be a rehab injury, although that's not necessarily a fast thing uh, to fix. So something else to keep an eye on if Birdsell could be back a little bit later in the season, but the question remains... How ready will he be and how quickly as it's becoming late April and very quickly you've passed the midway point of Big 12 conference play and you're going to have to get dialed in starting to think about the postseason here before too long. So let's look ahead to these Baylor Bears and then we'll wrap this thing up. Baylor 24 and 12 on the season. They're 5 and 7 in conference play. Running through their season quickly, they opened up in Edinburgh at UT Rio Grande Valley, and they opened with a losing series. They had a doubleheader on a Sunday and then played Monday against UT RGV. They won 12-7 to start, but Baylor lost 9-8 and then 7-4 against the Vaqueros. They went to the Round Rock Classic. They lost the opener to Texas A&M 12-4, but then took down Auburn 12-6 and lost to Oklahoma 9-3, which would be a non-conference game against OU. Took down Sam Houston in their first midweek action for nothing, and then played a long series against Memphis, a four-game set that involved a doubleheader on Saturday. They won 5-4, 9-0 in 7, 20-4, and then 8-7, so the four-game sweep over Memphis. They then swept Xavier in Waco as well, 7-3, 11-4, and 10-0. They had a midweek against UTSA. They won that 10-8 in Waco, and then a 12-2 win in seven innings over Prairie View A&M at home again. They hosted the University of Texas in their Big 12 opener, and they lost two out of three at home, 3-5, 3-4, and they won the Sunday game 11-2. Lost to UT Arlington 4-3 in Arlington, and then were swept by TCU in Fort Worth 3-1, 10-1. They took down Texas State and Waco in a midweek 4-2 and then beat up on North Carolina A&T in Waco. That was Easter weekend, 6-0, 5-0 in 7, 7-1, and then 7-3. So they played four games Thursday through Saturday against North Carolina A&T. Came back around with UT Arlington once again, beat them 7-6. 
and then hosted West Virginia, beating them 6-3, 7-4, and losing the sweep game 8-4 to West Virginia. They played Sam Houston once again in Huntsville. They beat them 4-1, and then most recently, this last weekend, went to Lawrence, Kansas. They didn't get the sweep, but they did get the series win 8-2, 6-2, and lost the Sunday game 2-3. All three games against Texas Tech this weekend will be uh, on Big 12 Now, ESPN Plus, as we've become accustomed to, 6.30 first pitch on Friday night, and then Saturday and Sunday, both happening at 2 p.m. When you look at these Baylor Bears and statistically what they have going on, uh, compared a little bit to other teams in the conference, Texas Tech leads the conference in walks with 189 walks on the season. That's not far off of the national leader, Arkansas, who has 204. Baylor ranks 75th in the country and 8th in the conference with 131 walks. Oklahoma leads the conference in batting average with a 302. Baylor second in the conference with a team 299. Texas Tech leads the conference with 30 double plays turned on the season. Baylor is sixth with 20 double plays. The University of Texas leads the conference with 75 doubles this season. Baylor is sixth with 57 doubles. Texas Tech leads the conference in home runs at 51. Baylor is eighth with 26. That's 90th in the country. Arkansas leads the U.S. with 63 home runs for first in the NCAA. Tech also leads in on-base percentage with a team 415. Baylor has is at 5th in the conference, 54th in the nation with a 384 OBP. The Red Raiders are also leading the Big 12 in slugging percentage with a 513. Baylor is at 7th, 70th in the NCAA with a 435. Baylor 8th in stolen bases, 9th in strikeouts per 9. Overall, the Bears not the strongest team in the conference by any means and not really doing a ton of things to make big noise or have big rankings even at the conference level. They do have Andy Thomas, who's second in RBIs in the conference. He's got 38, but Jace Young is at first in the Big 12 with 46. Jared McKenzie leads the Big 12 in runs per game at 1.3. He's eighth in the country overall, and that's the highest-ranked player you're going to see. Luke Boyd uh, does lead the conference in saves. He has eight. That's good for fourth in the NCAA as well. Jared McKenzie also leads the country and the conference, of course, uh, with 43 runs scored on the season. When you do look at the stats for the Baylor Bears, it is McKenzie who leads them offensively. He has a 386 batting average, does have those 45 runs. He has 45 runs, and so those NCAA stats have not quite updated yet. He's got 20 extra base hits on the season, 10 doubles, 3 triples, 7 home runs. He's got 24 RBIs, 8 walks. He's slugging a 627, his on base is a 444. Antonio Valdez is next on the team in average at a 333. Only 15 runs for him, three home runs, three doubles. Does have 12 walks. And then Jack Pineda leads them in walks with 23. His on base is a 427, slugging a 464. He has 12 doubles, one triple, and two home runs, 19 ribbies. And Andy Thomas is their RBIs leader. He's got 42 RBIs on the season. 
He's slugging a 507, but is on base only a 364. He does have 12 walks. He's batting a 316. Pineda, who I mentioned before, batting a 319. Everyone else is batting below 300, not to say that they're not contributing or getting a lot done, but those guys are definitely the four leaders Jared McKenzie, Antonio Valdez, Jack Pineda, and Andy Thomas. From the pitching standpoint, on Friday, you will most likely see Tyler Thomas get the start for the Baylor Bears. Thomas leads them with 55 and a third innings pitch. He's got a 195 ERA, a record of 4 and 2 on the season. He's got 54 strikeouts to 24 walks. He's given up four home runs, nine doubles, one triple. He's allowing a 192 batting average, only one wild pitch and three hit batsmen on the season for him. On Saturday, you will most likely see Blake Helton. Helton is fourth on the team for the Bears with a 36 innings pitch. He's got a 375 ERA, 30 strikeouts to 15 walks. He's given up six dingers and six doubles. He's allowing a 299 batting average to opposing batters, five hit batsmen for him, and three wild pitches. And then on Sunday, I would expect to see Hayden Kettler from the Bears, Kettler, 38 and a third innings pitch. He's got a 399 ERA, 29 strikeouts to six walks, the best ratio that we see from the Bears. He's giving up a 252 batting average, no wild pitches, but seven hit batsmen for him. He's allowed 23 runs. He's only outstripped by Helton, who's allowed 25. So the Bears, not bad pitching team, Uh, definitely. They have a deep bullpen and a lot of guys that have built a lot of experience. You can go almost 10 deep on the list before you get out of double digits of innings pitched, and even then it's high double digits in the 17 range. So a lot of guys have seen some time at this point in the season, and I think the Bears would be happy to throw the kitchen sink at the Red Raiders if they can pick up some W's on the road in the Big 12. So that should do it for me, folks. That's your look ahead to the Baylor Bears and your recap of the series win over the West Virginia Mountaineers. As I said, TCU sitting in the driver's seat right now, the Big 12 Conference. They're 11-2 and in the Big 12. Texas right behind them at 10-2, and and then the Red Raiders at 7-5. and TCU's path from here, they will host Kansas and Fort Worth this weekend. They'll go to West Virginia next weekend in Morgantown. They'll host the Longhorns and then close the season out going to Manhattan and playing Kansas State. Of course, the Red Raiders will need to get through Baylor this weekend at home, go to Austin to play UT. Tech will then follow a home stand against Illinois-Chicago. That's a four-gamer to go to Oklahoma and play in Norman, and then they'll close out the season hosting Kansas at home. So Texas Tech has got to take care of business. Big 12 sweeps would be very helpful at this point as TCU does have some road work to do. The Red Raiders have got to pick up some conference sweeps if they want a chance at a Big 12 championship. I've enjoyed it. Always enjoy bringing you guys and girls the news around Texas Tech baseball. Thank you so much for your support of Red Raider Dugout and all that we're doing. Make sure you're checking us out at redraiderdugout.com. Of course, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Red Raider Dugout. You can follow me at Keith B. Patrick and Randy at Randy Rosetta. Thanks, as always, to all of you for your support. Thanks for being fans of Texas Tech baseball and supporting this team as they roll along. We're enjoying it. Plenty of season left to go. Plenty of opportunities for this team to continue to pick up, dust themselves off, reinvent themselves as they go along, and deal with injuries 
and still try to make their way to Omaha. Thanks for tuning in to Dinger Derby. We'll see you soon, hopefully around the ballpark this week. Be good, have fun. Until then, wreck them. Thanks for tuning in to Dinger Derby and sharing our love for Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. You can connect with Keith on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Red Raider Dugout. And find more great tech baseball coverage at RedRaiderDugout.com. Help us out by rating us and leaving a review on iTunes. And remember to tell your friends about the show. Keith will be back soon with another episode of Dinger Derby. And until then, wreck em tech. Keep your hand on your gun. Don't you trust anyone. There's just one kind of man that you can trust That's a dead man or a gringo like me Be the first one to fire Every man is a liar There's just one kind of man who tells the truth That's a dead man or a gringo like me 